Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Hey, welcome to the Atheist Experience. We are live. For some reason, I didn't see the intro thing. I'm not seeing the date or any of the stuff that's up on the screen. Um, and I had to go from memory of where the song ends. But I think I've done the show enough times where I, I can do that without a whole lot of difficulty. How you doing? I'm Matt Dillahunty. Joining me this week, special guest, Aaron Ra. How you do? A very good friend of mine who you probably know from YouTube. Um, and, and I don't know, maybe lots of other things. The... The specific videos on on the foundational falsehoods of creationism is probably isn't that probably one of the most popular ones? That's the most popular, yeah. But I'm getting into a lot of other things right now, and I'm kind of excited about it. Cool, yeah. And uh, we're looking forward to it. I don't have I don't have the graphics, and we, since we kind of filled in here at the last minute, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started with callers in just a second. Uh, as a reminder, the ACA's Bat Cruise is coming up. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of other events. Actually, there's an event that conflicts with that. Arn and I will be in uh, Nacogdoches at, a, uh, at, a, at an event on that same day, which is September the East, Tex- East Texas Free Thought Festival, I think is what they're calling it. September 27th, I think it is. But we'll go ahead and jump right on in with callers and start some discussion. And you know what? If if that's if there's nothing else to do, then uh, we'll just make stuff up. So Evan in Santa Rosa, thanks for waiting. September 27th. Bye. Hello. We'll go ahead and jump right on in with callers and start some discussion. And you know what? Hello. Nothing else to do. We'll Evan. Hi, I'm here. Yeah. Uh, so so you're going to want to turn down the stream and pay attention to the phone because <laughs> it's on delay. So. Okay, it's off. Cool, thanks. What do you got for us? Oh, am I on? Yes, you're live. All right, I'm calling from Santa Rosa, California, Sonoma County. My name is Evan. It's the first time I've been on without it being after hours. Or after the hour. Can you still hear me? Yes. I'm calling because there's something that really frustrates me, and I don't know if anyone else has addressed it the same way I have. Do you know how when a group of people or two people are debating whether or not something or someone exists? Yes. You know, with some of the things, like if you're debating whether or not space aliens exist, they could be millions of light years away. If you're debating whether or not some creature exists, like the Loch Ness Monster, you know, or Bigfoot, they could be hiding out and not want to be found. But debating whether or not God himself exists, if he exists, then he would be fully aware that you're debating whether or not he exists. He would know every single thing they were saying, and so to me, it's an entirely different argument than the other kinds of debating whether or not something exists arguments. And it frustrates me that people don't seem to realize that. And I was wondering if you had an opinion on that. Well, I do. 
Now, the difference between God and the Loch Ness Monster and all of these others is that they don't demand your faith that you believe in them. Uh, in my opinion, religion is literally make-believe. It is the power of pretend. It is however you can to uh, you know, confirm your bias, to convince yourself that what you want to believe is what is really true. And that you will come up with, and I know that we, we disagree on this uh, key point, but I think that uh, believers, many of them, will do whatever they can to preserve their belief. I've had many people tell me that they believe what they do because they need to believe, uh, that, 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 that they're afraid not to believe, or that, that very often they've said, these may be what the facts are, but I prefer to believe this. So they don't care what the reality is. And they won't put themselves in a position where that reality could be challenged and possibly seriously questioned. Yeah, and on, on your point, you know, while I won't, and this is a, a subtle thing about phrasing, it's not so much that the the debate, the arguments, the evidence, and things like that are necessarily different, but it is important to note that uh, for most people's definition of God, that most people are debating, you're right. Um, if that being exists, then I would argue that he should probably understand that we're sitting there having a debate, and why doesn't he just show up and settle it? Are you guys still there? Yes. Um, another thing, I saw, I've seen almost all of your debates, Matt, mm-hmm. and most of yours, too. I watch them on YouTube, and my blood pressure is still up from watching you debate Saw Young Rudenkate. Just watching the debate made my blood pressure go up, and I'm genuinely curious how you people that are anti-apologists, or what's the term, reverse apologists, I got the term mixed up, but you know, um, you, de- you debate religious people. How do you keep your sanity? Because I swear, if I had been in the room with him, I might have just gone and beaten the tar out of him. I hate saying that, but I was getting so mad just watching the debate. My blood pressure went up so much. How do you guys maintain your sanity year after year? Does it cause your hair to go gray? Does it cause ulcers? So, no, I'm not particularly gray. I don't have ulcers. Um, one of the things is, first of all, I care. Um, I care about the truth. I care about uh, convincing people and helping to change their mind. The other thing is that I understand that, the, that, by and large, the people I'm engaging with are sincere and sincerely confused, and they are victims of these thought processes as much as they are a- advocating for them. Um, the other thing is that I realize that there are people watching, and, you know, if I were to jump across the, the table and, and do, like, a flying elbow off the top, buckle, uh, turnbuckle, I think that would look worse for us. And the other thing about this is it would probably be a good idea to sit down and figure out exactly what it is that's making you mad. What, it, what are you getting upset about? Because when I view that, I, I genuinely enjoyed most of it, and I trust that most people who watched it, you know, looking, looking at that debate and other debates, um, are capable of seeing some of the problems when somebody says, you know, it's not special pleading, it's different, uh, that, that this is, you know, obvious without necessarily hammering it home. But even if I address it, um, I, I just have a little more confidence in people's ability to, to, to think. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not saying that we're all good at it. We're all actually all terrible at it. I think we're just better than we often give people credit. There's nothing that, um, there's nothing in the debate that, that Sai said that would have made me mad. Uh, even when, you know, he called me a liar. Um, he pretends like he knows what's in my head better than I do. These are things that people would often get mad about. He refuses to offer uh, explanations for something and then tries to, 
to portray it as if you know he's got the reasonable position. I, I understand the frustration. The thing Cy did that, that actually made me mad had nothing to do with the debate. It was when, you know, from the debate podium, he basically called out and trash-talked the organizer and then refused to take a picture with her afterwards. That shows the content of his character. That shows that he's, you know, a despicable human being that I don't need to engage with. But when it comes to the actual arguments and discussion, um, I, I, I'm not there to try to convince him. I'm trying to, there to present the best case to everybody else. And I have much more confidence in everybody else than I do inside. Well, yeah, I, I wouldn't really attack someone. I just, I just sort of figure a speech. I hope you didn't think I was violent or something. Yeah, no, no, but, I, but but it's still worthwhile. Sit down and think about it. What is it that's making you mad? Um, because that'll help you figure out how to how to do these things, you know, and engage in these these topics without letting frustration get to you. Because well, you know, it's not just about religion. Whenever I'm trying to talk sense into someone, something that makes sense to me, and they're just not having it, I get frustrated. Yep. Let me, let me see if I, if I can draw a correlation here. I was watching a video that wasn't necessarily about religion. It was about somebody talking about the energies coming from their chi, and I don't know. Oh, God, I hate that shit. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> I don't know what kind of homeopathy or whatever it was that they were trying to sell, but this woman that was on stage, she had a she had a room full of people in an audience that she's trying to address, and she's talking about the energies, and she's always doing it with this big hippie smile, you know, and she's all charged about it. And I was waiting for somebody in the audience to ask, what was the range in joules of energy that they had received? Because, of course, this woman doesn't know what a joule is. She doesn't know how you measure energy. She doesn't know what the energy is. She it's spiritual energy. energy, not electricity. We're talking, huh? It's spiritual energy, not electricity. But if it's not measurable, then you can't say that it takes more, let's, let's say information in evolution, when they say that it takes more information to make a bird than it does a dinosaur. Well, ask the question again, how much more? Because if you can't put a metric on it, then you can't know if this amount is more than this amount. And so what bothers me is I expect people to consider that their reputations are on the line, that there, there, there should be some degree of accountability for accuracy. And when people simply assert as fact that which is not evidently true, that enrages me personally because I, I can't understand why somebody would do that, and especially in situations where they are deceiving people who don't know any better. And I'm, and I'm, I'm glad to say that there are other people in my family who react the same way. But, anyway, thanks, thanks for calling, Evan. We appreciate it. Uh, All right, thank you, too. You guys are awesome. All right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. We've got, is it Kylie in Ontario? Oh, hi. How are you guys? We're doing well. Thanks for asking. Good. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I had two questions, actually. One, my first one was that um, I was in a kind of debate online with a Christian, uh, well, friend of a friend kind of thing, and and we kind of went through a process of, when I talked about Noah's Ark and said, you don't actually believe that this is a true story. Do you, do you don't believe that creation, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of really, when confronted with it, said, okay, well, I don't really know or care if that's true. It's basically, it's all about my relationship with Jesus and the transformational power of Jesus. And I've heard this a couple times from people lately. It may be like the flavor going through my crowd of people that I know, but it's, and they said something like, Sola Jesus. Like this focus that's basically ignoring any of the stuff that has to do with the veracity of the Bible. It's just like all focused on Jesus. Is that I didn't I didn't really know how to approach the situation after he kind of said that. 
I don't know if you had any ideas about that. That's, this is the reason why they say the devil is in the details. Uh-huh. Because if you, if you change your focus to, to analyzing the way a scientist would or the way a critic or a cynic would, you know, looking at the words of the Bible and where they contradict and where they don't make any sense, you're going to lose that, that belief that is supposed to fill you all full of butterflies. This, right. this is something we see a lot in, in kind of modern, more uh, liberal believers who, who have wishy-washy ideas about their religion exactly. and yeah. trying to make it, oh, it's just a personal thing and we're not trying to be you know, offended and all this stuff. I, I think, personally, let me put on my Southern Baptist hat for a minute. Those are crappy believers. They are crappy <laughs> Christians. But yeah. also, they are, they are engaged in a level of intellectual dishonesty. And I don't mean that they're intentionally lying. I mean that they... They have their defense mechanisms have been such that they've deceived themselves and been deceived, because yeah. it, if if for example Adam and Eve weren't literal individuals who ate a fruit in opposition to God's command, then you don't have any original sin. Right. You tug that thread, and everything else starts falling apart. If there, right. you know, if there wasn't an original sin, then there's no need for, you know, redemption. If there, if it weren't for God deciding to uh, pick out the Jews, if they weren't enslaved, if they didn't uh, escape to the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, all, for example, a lot of the problems in the middle of e- in the Middle East uh, evaporate. And so, right. if you're going to toss all that out, do you toss out the Ten Commandments too? I mean, there's lots of people who would want to toss out the entire Old Testament. Yeah, And if you do that, then not only do you toss out the original sin, you toss out the creation, you toss out the Ten Commandments, the entire entirety of the law, and you right. to- toss out all the prophecies that people think have been fulfilled by Jesus. So what are you left right. with? But you right. have a warm, fuzzy feeling that Jesus, right. you know, loving Jesus makes me feel better. Well, cool. Well, and then, there's, yeah, there's not really any reason for Jesus to come in the first place if there's no, yeah. Well, yeah. they've changed all of that, too, because now it becomes a judgment of whether you are good or evil, and that this is what determines whether you're getting into heaven and hell. And this may have been uh, the the original tradition in the, or the Jewish tradition, but this was not the Christian tradition, the way that right. they, they, they write it out. I mean, there's, there's very specific things that get you into heaven. Belief. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you don't believe, yeah. you're not getting in. It doesn't matter how good or bad you are. If you do believe, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. You, as long as you believe, all sins can be forgiven. It that's not the way Christianity works, but they ignore these rules right. that they've set for themselves. And just and, right. and so they, they use this as a moral guide. And I've said right. many times that if you're using, you, know, you can make up your moral guide and say that you're going to be good because God wants you to be good. And okay, as long as you don't look at the details, that's fine. But when you look at the Bible as a moral guide, then I would say that anybody that follows that book as their moral guide is going to be a criminal in every country in this. Right. And to be right. fair, um, not to jump all over Aaron, but while there are a lot of people who who cling to this idea that belief is the criteria, um, that's actually not the criteria outlined in the Bible, and it's not the criteria that's outlined in most uh, Christian doctrines. Because, for example, the devil absolutely believes it's not about belief. It is right. about, it is about uh, salvation is a gift of God uh, that you get, you know. By, by grace through faith, and you know, then there's the debate about is it belief plus works, is it belief and repentance plus works. So there's an entire field uh, that's that's called soteriology that is about what do I have to do to get to heaven, and 
normally they'd skip over the verse where Jesus was specifically asked, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And his answer was to keep the commandments, and then he listed the specific ones that you'd need to keep. Uh, they tend to tend to gloss right over that to go to more about what Paul had to say. Uh, which is really, it, their system's a mess, and so it's not surprising that there are people who think that the Bible says, you know, it's about whether or not you're good or it's about whether or not you believe, because uh, people don't know what the hell's in the Bible. They don't know what yeah. they believe. They don't know why they believe it. They've just gone to church and, and accepted what people have thrown their direction. And you'll often hear people say, well, well, that's just the Old Testament. We're going to focus right, on the yeah. New Testament. And of course, as you just said, you know, Jesus said you had to t- keep the commandments, and he didn't mean just the 10 that everybody's familiar with in Exodus 20. You're supposed to keep all of those commandments running through from Exodus 20 through 21, 22, 23, and everywhere else, including everything in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that if you break any of these rules, that you would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. You'll still get to yeah. heaven. You'll just be considered least, graded on a scale, if you break any of these laws. Yeah. Well, I've seen lately, the people that I've seen using this argument are very intelligent people. I mean, there's some people that... Yeah. And and to me, it's kind of like, I feel like it's a way for them to deal with their cognitive dissonance of the fact that that there's part of them that knows that this doesn't make any sense because they've examined their part of it, but they're still trying to make everything fit within the Christian worldview, so they have to find a way to throw out stuff that doesn't make any logical sense. So that's kind of how I, but I didn't know how to approach it with them and say, without I guess being overly confrontational, and saying that's crap. You know, I didn't know a way to kind of introduce it and say, well, does this make any sense that you still live in Jesus when this stuff doesn't work? But you've given me some good ideas, though. Thank you. Ask lots of questions. I mean, right. I, I'll, I'll, I'll skip over the thing about laws and covenants and all that stuff because it's a mess within Christianity, so it's not surprising that, you know, that there's different views of it outside as well. But if you ask, ask lots of questions direct, and one of the things to remember is that people who are smart are generally good at rationalizing uh, justifications for things that they believe for non-smart reasons. And that's right. a paraphrasing of, of something that Michael Shermer said. Um, I think it was in Why People Believe Weird Things, but it, it could have been elsewhere as well. Um, but yeah, ask questions. Let, use the Socratic method to let them kind of lead themselves toward the conclusion of, right. hey, maybe I don't have a good reason for this. And if I'm And if I'm advocating for this merely because it makes me feel good, is that a good reason to believe anything? And does this right. make sense? I mean, imagine for a second that you're God. Would you... Define, would you create a system that looks anything like what most people believe? No. You know, yeah. Hide yourself away and just give people warm fuzzies? I mean, yeah. going back to the first call, you know, if there is a God and he knows that we're debating his, his existence, it'd be, you know, why not show up right here? What, yeah. better, what better proof could you have than to have God appear right here between the two of us on an atheist show um, that's broadcast around the world? I mean, right. Yeah. Right now, evidently, all he can do is, uh, you know, give me a hangnail and mess up the graphics on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did actually have one other quick question, if I could. Sure. Um, my, I am I'm recently deconverted. My husband is still a believer, so we are trying to work out some of the details of how to raise our kids. And our our oldest daughter is um, has a chronic medical condition, and. She's getting, she's into like youth group where that age would be. And I, I have this fear 
that she's going to be put in a situation where they're going to take her up and lay hands on her and say, let's pray for Jesus to heal you, which we all know is not going to happen. And then she's going to be go through the process of being disappointed and feeling like it's her fault, feeling like she did something wrong, why doesn't God heal me, that kind of thing. And so I, I, I brought this up to my husband, but he, I mean, it didn't go that well. So I was kind of trying to think of a way to talk to her about it that's not going to be undermining do you know what i mean that's not going to that my husband's not going to see is undermining his belief but that would kind of prepare her for the fact that you know if this happens it, it's not your fault it's not that i don't know if that makes sense but yeah, the, it does I'm, make sense yeah and, and this is not good advice but to hell with preserving somebody's belief when they want to throw you know medical science under the bus in favor of magic Right. If, if you want to talk about why doesn't God heal me, why doesn't God heal anybody, why is it always, you know, why is it that, that your prayers never take effect until the chemo starts flowing? Right. You know, what, what's up with that? And, and why are there not hospitals that are, that are run and, and by, by faith healers where they don't have to use medication? Why does this never happen? Because that never works. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I'm, it's a difficult situation being, you know, raising a kid with, with parents uh, who have different beliefs. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably address this in a little bit because somebody else wants to to talk about you know how they can be a positive influence on on children who are being raised in a in a Christian environment. Right. There's the there's the temptation to say, well, you know, if they go and lay hands on her, they're not really hurting anything. But you brought up the actual hurt, which yeah. is if they're also pumping in ideas that you need to be right with God, or that this needs right. to be in accordance to God's will, or maybe He doesn't love you enough to heal you, or maybe you are somehow. Uh, you are separated from God, that she has some secret sin in her life that is preventing yeah. the healing from working. These are harmful ideas. Yeah, and, and she's 11 years old. So rather, than, mean, rather than caring so much about whether or not you're undermining your husband's opinion, you should say, I'm not out to under, undermine your particular opinion because it's yours. Right. I'm out to undermine harmful ideas that are affecting my daughter. Yeah. And it's not my fault that you happen to agree with those ideas. This is your problem to work out. And you can mm-hmm. tell her, by the way, that you believe that God would heal her if she would just stop sinning. And you're a monster for doing so. And yeah. I'm going to tell her that I don't think that this is actually going to happen. And if it does, great. And if it doesn't, well, we're going to keep seeking scientific uh, advice and, and sound medical information. And I don't know why you would ever want to hurt your daughter or attack me for trying to be honest yeah. with her as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Anyway, thanks for the call, Kyle. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, so we're uh, not quite at the halfway point. After the show's over, people get together and go to dinner, uh, and they've been going to El Arroyo, and they'll put the address up at the bottom of the screen. Um, let's see, who's next? We'll go with uh, Kevin and Tempe. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. I had a, I had a question. I was a fundamentalist Christian like yourself, uh, and I don't bother to read the Bible anymore, but I remember this time when I read about uh, Jesus telling the apostles that he would come back within their time. And by what I remember about the Bible, under the Bible's own definition of a prophet or someone that's speaking for God, if they're wrong about anything, they're a false prophet. And I wanted to know how you think that they get around that, or if I'm misinterpreting this? 
It's all in the interpretation, isn't it? Listen to all the excuses that they come up with for why Jesus got it wrong when he said that the mustard was the smallest of all seeds. Even in his time and place, there were other seeds that were known by the farmers of his day to be smaller than that. So people will make up any excuse. Well, Jesus was only talking within the knowledge that the people had. But the knowledge that the people had was already more than what he provided. You know, he didn't know when figs were in season, for example. So, I mean, here's a couple of things we got wrong. But you'll just dance around and create a... And I'm not obviously accusing you, but I'm saying these people will dance around and create whatever excuse they have because they can't make a significant concession like that. Yep. It, it undermines It undermines everything. Um, and so there are a number of apologetics, and there are websites that will give you answers to what you're saying about, you know, hey, you know, I, that he would basically return uh, before ever there is gone. Um, the number one, uh, well, in, uh, in the Indiana Jones movie, they actually provide an apologetic for that, and that is that some of those people are still alive and in hiding, um, <laughs> which you can't disprove. So yet there's one more unfalsifiable proposition. I cannot prove that there's not somebody that Jesus was talking to who's still alive and or who isn't still alive and, and hiding somewhere. Um, the other thing is is kind of playing with the language, which is, you know... When, when you say all these things shall come to pass, what exactly are you talking about? Are you necessarily talking about a return? There are others who believe that Jesus has already come back, that that is their particular interpretation of it, and that we're living in times after that, and that there's something else coming. And, they, you know, they've got millennial and post-millennial. Go ahead. I thought Jesus exists right now somewhere in Siberia. There's a whole there's a whole cult uh, in in Eastern Russia somewhere where they have their Jesus physically there right now. And there's you can, a guy in Florida who claims that he's Jesus coming back. Yeah, but they, they built so a whole town around this guy, and I'm not even kidding, kidding about that. I, I, I wish I could remember the name that they were using for this. But yeah, they, they think he's the modern incarnation of Jesus. He dresses just like the stereotypical vision of Jesus that you get. So he's blonde hair, blue eyes, and white guy? <laughs> no, but he looks, a, he looks a bit like Elvis and only appears in black velvet paintings. Yeah, because that's what you see when you go to the Mormon. When we were in Salt Lake City for the American Atheist uh, Convention this last year, we, of course, went to... Uh, uh, down to the temple and toured a bunch of stuff. And boy, it's shocking how this uh, incredibly white Jesus is all over the paintings there. Yeah. Uh, our Jesus, when I was a kid, our Jesus was blonde. And it, it, did, it looked like he was raised in Scandinavia. Jesus and Thor. <laughs> Same guy. Or girl. Yeah, now girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing to me how... If we use that logic in any other way, in, in anything that doesn't have to do with God, everyone would think you're a crackpot. Yeah, and the thing is that they use it against each other. I mean, atheists really don't have to do any work. If you want to know what's wrong with Christianity, you can ask a Jew. If you want to know what's wrong with Judaism, you can ask a Muslim. If you want to know what's wrong with a Muslim, you can ask pretty much anybody. Uh, they're, they're attacking each other, and they're, they're pointing out the problems in their own religious texts and traditions and failing to see the ones in theirs. There's a confirmation bias there. Because they, uh, and I'm going to put this in scare quotes, know that their God is real. And so it cannot be false. And so any information that comes along that might oppose it um, is disregarded. Aaron talked about this on the Unholy Trinity Tour with regard to creationists, um, that it's in their their manifestos, in their um, requirements for being a part of it. Yep, every creationist organization posts a statement of faith wherein they refuse, where they state 
that they refuse to ever admit when they're wrong. And the way that they usually phrase that is that they will automatically reject any evidence that ever contradicts the scriptural record. So they simply won't consider it. It's yeah, just out of the they question. They even call it a, a peer, apparent evidence or appears to. So if there is some scare quote evidence that appears to contradict scripture, then either our understanding of that evidence is wrong, and it doesn't actually contradict Scripture, or the evidence itself is false, and it is, you know, maybe maybe even planted there by Satan to deceive people. But it, it it's, the Scripture cannot be true, cannot be false. Is, yes. is their position? I wrote an article I, about the the city of Tyre and how it was supposed to have been destroyed in the biblical prophecy by I think it was Nebuchadnezzar. But anyway, um, I want to uh, go visit it. <laughs> I, 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 I I compared two different uh, religious websites trying to explain away why Tyre still exists. Uh, one of them says that, that the island actually did sink and is no longer there. The other one admits that the island is there and is now attached to the land. And that, that the excuses that both of these websites give to each other contradict each other such that it, it's not possible to be a simple error. Somebody's getting their facts incorrect on both sides, it would seem. But they're definitely contradicting each other on this point. I've come across a lot of those a lot of those ways of thinking with uh, within my own family, where I they've asked me a question because they're mortified that I'm an atheist, and they and when they've told me to read something, I'll research it and and I'll point out, well, look right here, it's saying they're not going to accept anything. They're, what they're saying is true. And anything that contradicts it is automatically wrong. So why should I use that as a source, you know, for so or believe what they're saying? So, so one good way to tell, in my opinion, fairly obviously, that this stuff is false and contradictory, is that for each contradictory claim that we found, whether it contradicts something else in Scripture or whether it contradicts the evidence of the natural world. They have provided their explanations, and they have provided many different explanations. It's the reason that there are a thousand or more denominations that all identify as Christian and all point to the same book and all disagree on countless issues. And not only, I mean, even if there there was a God and one of them would write, you might expect maybe he'd come in and clarify this up with Bible 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever you wanted. Uh, but not only does that not happen, but it's it should be flatly obvious that, hey, I can no longer say that there's not a contradiction here or that there's not something here that is is in conflict with nature because we've tried to explain this and we've come up with different answers. That's not the path, that's not a, a good pathway to truth. It is a demonstration that you are sitting around fooling yourselves. Uh, let, let's find a way to make this work. We're going to desperately try to rewrite our particular doctrine in such a way that it doesn't look quite so stupid and then they fail. That, that to me is, is, you know, knock down, drag out confirmation that, uh, the idea that the Bible is literally true, it doesn't contain contradictions and, and, uh, you know, conflicts with, with nature is, is just flatly false. And one of the desperate rationalizations that I encountered when discussing this topic was, uh, asking who owned the land where Judas died when Judas died there. I mean, because I mean, in one account you have him giving back the money, in another account you have him go buy the, buy the land, and when he gives back the money, then the Pharisees go buy the land. So so who owned it then, and then how did he die? Because in one passage it says he fell headlong 
hung. And, and, and in the other passage, it says that he hung himself. And it's really kind of hard to fall headlong when your head is tied to a tree. So there's a definite contradiction there. And the excuse that I got was that these two passages that I'm comparing were written by men with different perspectives. And I said, ah, thank you. So you are admitting that this is a human interpretation not divined by God. And, of course, the conversation ended abruptly there. Because, of course, they wouldn't admit to the fact that they could be wrong or it could be wrong. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, in the debate with Cy, um, he can't possibly be wrong about whether or not a God exists. He also couldn't be wrong about whether or not I'm evidently lying or whether or not I know that a God exists. I mean... Yeah, what, what the presuppositionalists are doing are, are taking, are, are following this uh, logical conclusion that they've reached uh, down an incredibly slippery slope that leads to absurdity, that leads to sitting there. And the example that I didn't give during that debate that I wish I would have is telling me that I know that God exists and that you know that I know God exists, even if I deny it, is like going up to someone who tells you that they're gay and saying, you're straight, I know that you're straight, and I know that you actually know that you're straight, even if you deny it. I mean, that's that's the level of absurdity of, of thinking that, you know, you cannot be wrong, and therefore someone else is necessarily wrong about their own subjective understanding of their experience. It's just, it's bizarre. It's beyond bizarre. And, and I used to hear this in grade school when the, the kid would say something ridiculous and say, and then who do, whoever disagrees with me is a liar. There's, there's the level of logic. Well, Christians have been doing that for forever. I mean, especially with the homosexuality case where they tell people, oh, no, you're really not homosexual. Oh, yeah. It's a choice. It's a behavior. It's, uh, yeah. It, it, and we're, and we're going to go pray the gay out of you. Yeah. yeah, because you would, you would choose that. You would choose to be ostracized from your own society. That's, that, that makes perfect sense. You would choose to be hated in a, in a world where there are places where you can be killed simply for being gay or being suspected of being gay. That, that makes perfect sense also. Why also would we choose to be atheists knowing that God knows everything? And if God exists, and then God knows everything. And the only thing that really pisses God off is when you don't believe in him. And so if you'll forgive everything else except when you deny the Holy Spirit, except when you make that one unforgivable sin, which is to be atheist. So when you say that you don't believe in God, you better be really committed to that statement. Yeah, because the, the response to that then is, oh, you're just angry with God and in love with your sin, and you are deceived by Satan and blah, 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 blah. blah. Oh, my gosh, it's just uh, mind-numbingly <laughs> stupid at that point. I, I've, I've had that used against me. I've had some classes. Uh, I went back to college, and I've had some classes in religious studies, and uh, because I'm disabled... Uh, a couple people have actually uh, put that up as uh, an evidence for, oh, well, you really believe you're just pissy. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for the call, Kevin. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. All right. We've got Michael in Akron. Thanks for waiting. Hello. Um, I wanted to ask, I have a nephew who's about nine years old, and I recently visited them. The family actually lives in Austin, but... Um, they came up for the 4th of July and I noticed some things in conversations where the parents are, the parents are Christian and I wanted to know how I could possibly be more of a positive influence for uh, a different worldview, obviously an atheist one, um, than 
what the parents present to him without stepping on too many toes, if you understand where I'm coming from. Sure, it's difficult. We have conversations about when should this, when does the state have an obligation to step in, uh, you know, and, and trump a family's right to, to teach and raise their children. I mean, that's that's a difficult line, and certainly when you're doing with family. Um, I don't know, you, you probably got some stuff to contribute. My, my big thing is uh, to be yourself and mm-hmm. be positive and try to encourage uh, dis- an appreciation for discovery and learning about the world, um, you know, how to tell what's real from what's not real, um, science-type stuff, and try to instill those those values, I guess. I don't know if you want mm-hmm. Yeah, they would... A lot of people ask me, you know, what, what is the meaning of truth? And I think that's relevant here is that what I consider to be truth is whatever statement you make that is verifiably true. And if you can't show that it's verifiably true, then you can't call it truth. So when people want to, want to propose a religious perspective, they have to understand that that is a belief. That's not a fact and it won't become a fact until it becomes verifiable. Religion wants to assert it as a fact. And you have to hold your ground and say, no, not until you can demonstrate it. Until then, until you can show me that there's some truth to your position, there isn't. And obviously I take a very hard-line approach. My own problem is I'm I'm a bit of a hypocrite because in my own family, I will have conversations that begin and end with someone in my family saying, well, we're a Christian. And that's it. (laughs) The conversation ends. And 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 it's never going to pick up after that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that actually prompted this question is that apparently recently he approached his mother out of the blue. It's the middle of summer, so he's not in school, so his friends haven't been influencing him, but he approached his mother with the questions about Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy and all of these things, apparently on his own. And uh, I wanted to, like, one of the things that made me think about this was the fact that I wanted to encourage this young triumph of skepticism in his life and try to get him to go a little bit further and maybe ask those kinds of questions about Jesus. And I wasn't exactly sure how to do that. I, w- I was taught uh, conflicting philosophies when I was a kid. I was taught uh, by the by the documentaries that I would watch about how the scientific method worked, or, or by uh, it wasn't even science documentaries. I think it was uh, detective shows about uh, how to weed away the lies to reveal the falsehood. I don't remember what the colloquialism is for that. But at the same time, uh, other influences in my childhood would be criticizing skeptics, criticizing people who did not readily believe the most preposterous claim because those people were missing out on the on the glory or the wonder that the universe really was. So I had two conf- two very conflicting ideologies here and I'm and I'm looking at the one that how do we discern what is true? That was a choice for me, that this is the one that was more valuable to me, was to discern what is true. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'd point out that uh, Russell's actually written some stuff on this, um, specifically addressing some of the uh, some of the processes I guess he used in raising his son. Um, and also, uh, Dale McGowan has a book called Parenting Beyond Belief. Uh, it's not uncling beyond belief, but I think you would <laughs> be able to get something out of it. Um, you know, uh, uncles are, and, and, and aunts are in a, a really good position. You get to be the cool quasi-parent um, who perhaps lets them get away with some stuff that their parents don't necessarily get away with it. And everybody kind of looks the other way, you know. Oh, I can't believe mm-hmm. your uncle let you do that or whatever. Um, it's being open to having conversations. Um, for example, I have a niece and a nephew. And I don't discuss religion with them or atheism. I'm not even sure completely what they know. But um, mm-hmm. their family, it, my 
brother and his family are Christians, and, and I had a conversation with my brother saying, you know, look, if they come to me and they say, hey, Uncle Matt, why don't you go to church? I'm going to tell them. And then I'm going to tell them that they should probably go talk to you about it as well because I don't want to you know, disrespect and say that uh, your parents are nuts and we'll, we'll, because we'll play it up as or explain it as a difference of opinion about something because I think it's more important to teach them how to think than what to think. And so if you encourage the sort of tools that allow them to discover truths on their own, you know, I was a fundamentalist Christian for 25-plus years, and Arn believed all kinds of batshit crazy stuff, and we made it out. And so I, ha- I have confidence that a lot of people will make it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing that sort of complicates the situation also is the fact that about two years ago, I came out to the family within a week of each other as atheist and gay, so I am the extreme black sheep of the family, so I'm kind of on eggshells a little bit to begin with. So do, I don't know. do they correlate these? No, actually. That's, fortunately, they did not. Which one was worse? Uh, atheist. <laughs> believe it or not. No, I believe yes. it. I hear that all the time. I've heard that from, from Jen. Um, and I think uh, Greta Christina and others have talked about it as well. That, you know, quite often your family might even have suspected for quite a long time, you know. Oh, uh, my father knew. Yeah. My mother did not. But um, uh, my father actually took it way better um, than my, uh, the, the gay part anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the atheist part, um, he disowned me within five minutes of learning uh-huh. and then figured out that probably wasn't the best thing to do and he came back and changed his mind. But yeah, it was uh-huh. definitely much, much worse. <laughs> I, I am glad that his humanity in that instance trumped his religious dogma. And yes. that's the sort of thing, you know, one of the things, you know, the, the gay community benefited from having people come out. And the atheist community has benefited as well because it's really hard to vilify an entire group of people if you know people in that group and you like them. You know, if you find out that your neighbor or somebody that you've been playing cards with or or having fun with, all of a sudden they're, you know, uh, you find out they're gay or they're an atheist or something else that you might have otherwise had a prejudice against, it becomes very difficult to hang on to that. Mm -hmm. But Anyway, all right. Well, I will check out those books, and thank you for taking my call. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. All right. Um, we'll go with uh, Estan in Woodridge, New Jersey. Thanks for waiting. Hello? Well, oh, I didn't push the button right. Let's try this. Hey, my uh, phone box has stopped working. So can you put line four on the air? There we go. Estan, you there? Yes, I am. How hey, are thanks. you? Um, Matt and Aaron, it's Esther Ann. I'm in um, Woodridge, New Jersey. And uh, my question is, why as a community of atheists do we spend so much time um, debating with creationists like Eric Hoven and Cy Ten and um, instead of reaching out to the more mild believers, and I'm not even talking moderate, when I say mild believers, it's those uh, Roman Catholics that go to church on Christmas and Easter and, you know, have a smile on their face anyway, and they sort of believe, but they, they don't have the, they're not quite sure, and, and maybe they don't really care too much, but if they had someone to talk to, they um, may join forces and we can get a little bit bigger in number. Um, that's that's my question. And then uh, after you answer the question, I'd like to share an example on, on how this actually worked and uh, saved my marriage uh, because my husband is a mild believer. Uh, myself, I've 
I've often wanted to take the the mainstream, the middle of the road, the the moderate believer. It used to be, once upon a time, that everybody understood that you had to have some acceptance and understanding of science, and at the same time, practically everybody had some kind of vague impression of a spiritual afterlife. And that since then, I mean, things have actually become far more polarized in this country. The number of religious people is, is in decline, but... The number of creationists, which is a form of religious extremists far on the fringe, is actually on the rise. So when you compare these statistics, what you get is that you're losing the moderate believers. And where you had moderate believers, you have the mainstream whose money and votes are being manipulated by the radical fringe. And these people, I'm sorry to say, will not read a chick track and don't even know they exist. Uh, They won't watch the Trinity Broadcast Network. They don't care what Pat Robertson said. I would love to get mainstream Christians to realize what kind of a lunatic fringe is actually at the helm of their collective because nothing would serve our purpose as atheists or science advocates or secularists better than that. Yeah, so. I could see I could see your point because um, those are the people you really have to go after because the, politically they are also in power. Like yep. you, and they they run Fox News and your moderate Christians, your middle income, you know, like my parents' age, they they swear by what Fox is putting out. So yeah, you're going after. I, I understand a little bit better now. So um, I'd also I'd also add that first of all, um, I kind of reject the premise. Um, you know, the question is, you know, why are we spending time addressing these people and not these other people? I think we're addressing all of them. Um, but you talk specifically about people who don't care too much about it, and I think that's important because if they don't care too much about the religion, I think it's unlikely that they're going to care enough to maybe want to change. They don't necessarily value the truth as much. But the reasons that I go after it are because um, religions have a privileged position, because the tr- I think the truth matters. I think that what people believe affects their actions, and their actions have consequences on uh, on others as well. Um, it inhibits progress. But I also am convinced uh, that fundamentalists are quite often the easiest prime targets, even though it doesn't seem that case uh, that way to a lot of people. And the reason for that is, Moderate and liberal theologians and people who don't care that much and don't know that much, um, it's not as important to them. And they they live in a world where they have already rationalized away a lot of the problems. And the fundamentalists are the rigid, unbending uh, stick of religion. And so it's much easier to find the, the, the fault that will fell that tree than it will the tree that bends. If you are convinced that Adam and Eve were actual literal people... And we can demonstrate that with actual evidence that this concept makes no sense in light of what we know about how life evolved on the planet. That's kind of difficult. If you believe that the Bible is a true and good moral guide, and then you point to the fact that the Bible very clearly sanctions slavery, and that this God was picking favorites and slaughtering people and genocide and all kinds yeah. of it. See, I mean, that's a, those that's are crippling. A- that's a great thing because um, they're irrational and they go in their circular presuppositional reasoning and they believe these uh, that the Bible is literal. But the others, the mild, even the moderates that do attend church, but they're not quite sure uh, and they're Christian and they don't want to lose their traditions, but, you know, they still may believe. At least they're rational, critical thinkers that have uh, science education. And then if they hear these type of debates, then, they're, then they really, their eyes really get open. 
Um, the example, because I don't want to take up too much time, the example that I wanted to, to leave with how it helped me and my husband, um, very recently, uh, Sarah Moorhead was on Greg Bray's show, Inspiring Doubt, mm -hmm. and my husband was listening to it with me, um, and uh, she was talking with Greg how to handle a mixed marriage, and that's what I'm in and have been. Um, I have a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, and uh, we let them learn, and um, I ask them to critically think about what they are learning. Uh, but yet my husband was very much, um, not that he was practicing and going to church, but he was very much into the Christian ways of doing things, what's acceptable, the sure. moderate dress, what's, you know, that type of a thing. Well, when he listened um, to the show with Greg and Sarah and heard her rationale, because she, she was sharing how she handled it with her family, mm -hmm. he's like, you know what? This religion is bullshit. Oh, excuse me, on the show, I don't know. Uh, no, you're fine. It is bullshit. And, 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 he goes, you know, and thank you for saying so. And I was, I couldn't believe it because I've been, it's been like heck for me, you know, trying to hold my position. Nobody else in my family, everybody else is Christian. Most of them are practicing Catholics. The kids have to be like, your mommy's crazy. Don't listen to your mother. I had to go through a lot. And then one show he watches, a modern rational thinking believer and all of a sudden he heard somebody else besides my voice and he's like yeah you know that's bullshit and then I was going down to the New Jersey Humanist Network meeting down in Central Jersey he's like hey uh, you mind if I tag along with you and I was like, no, this is awesome. You can tag along with me. I absolutely love this now. And um, I don't know, our relationship is improving. The Great. kids, you see the smile on their faces, you know, when God's brought up and all at my parents. So it really does help people out there. Absolutely. when um, When there are more moderate um, talks, like I said, like Sarah was talking on Greg's show. That's why I said there's a need for it, too. Absolutely. It helps a lot of us. I, I'm, I'm a fan of as many pro approaches as necessary. I'm never going to tell anybody to not be, uh, you know, not, or you're being too nice to believers. Well, I guess I could probably say to somebody who was bending over backwards and unwilling to, to even engage. But the, the interesting thing is that your husband... Uh, we don't know if he's actually the exception or the rule, but we do know that in many cases... When, for example, if we talked about what uh, Westboro Baptist Church was doing, there are a, bunch, a ton of Christians out there who their immediate reaction is, that's not me. That's not what I believe. And so they right. don't realize that you're actually addressing the same thing. This is the problem of having so many different denominations using their interpretation and all pointing to the same book and the same label. Um, it... it Provides uh, the liberals and moderates provide cover for the fundamentalists and ex extremists, and because they are, they recognize that they are not the fundamentalists and extremists. They kind of get on this. Um, well, the things that people find objectionable about Christianity—that's not what I believe. Wrong. I well, object to what out. you believe too. That's a cop out. Yeah. Because yeah, I think that it would be great um, if we can get some of these debates um, like the one well I don't I didn't watch the one you just recently did but some Probably of the debates <laughs> but, but um, it causes heard, ulcers but, <laughs> um, but if we can get them 
um, somewhere in a community center somewhere, you know, invite the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and, and the Methodists and, and, the, and the moderate Catholics and say, just watch this. See, tell me, just listen to uh, what they're saying here and tell me what you think. And then maybe we could get more into those philosophical conversation about what is faith, tangible, non-tangible, because they're more reasonable. You don't have to, you know, they're not trying to trap you and win. They're actually having a discussion. Sometimes. Sometimes, okay, sometimes. yes, of course. Yeah, I can find I, them I, sometimes. I definitely take your point. Thanks so much, Estan, for calling. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, you're welcome. Have a good weekend. You whatever's too. left Bye-bye. of it. All right. All right, so my phone box has stopped working, so we need to drop four, and we'll go to two. Justin, you there? Yeah, yeah, hey, I'm here. Thanks for waiting. What'd you have for us? Hey, what's up, guys? I got a question for Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching a debate that you did with uh, Cliff Connettle, I think that's his name. Connectly. Connectly, okay. Anyways, uh, during about minute 37 of the debate, um, you said... I'm going to quote you right here. You said, um, I'm convinced by evidence that if a person lives their life believing as many true things as possible and as few false things as possible, then they will lead a better life. Yep. And I was, I was wanting to know, uh, you know, what kind of testable evidence you have uh, for a claim like that. And the second part to my question would be, um, how does the, you know, this requirement for of a claim like that, is that... Um, you know, parallel with the evidence for an existence of God? I mean, because it seems like a pretty extraordinary claim. And uh, What I seems would, like an extraordinary claim? The claim that you made about... Um, you think that you think that my claim is extraordinary, that people who believe as many true things and as few false things as possible are going to lead a better life? Well, it's kind of extraordinary. I mean, to live, to live a better life, I mean, that's kind of... I mean, the opinion, it's, it's opinionated in scope, kind of. But, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll tell you why I don't think this is extraordinary at all. Um, does a person who believes that drinking battery acid is good for them, are they more likely to lead a better life or a worse life? Uh, I mean, that, that has to do with doing something bizarre that could affect you health-wise. I'm talking it is, about... I, it is based on a belief. If you believe that drinking battery acid is good for you, that is a false belief. And it will result in harm. And if you believe that drinking battery acid is bad for you, that is a true belief, and you'll be better off. Correct? Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Can... Hang, hang on. If you believe that your odds of winning the lottery are one in two, <laughs> are you going to be better off or worse off? Is that going to lead to actions at, taken that are better or worse than if you actually believe your odds are one in sixty-seven million? Uh, well, I mean. You're kind of evading the question. I mean, no, I'm answering it directly. You asked for testable evidence of what I said, and I said that people believing as many true things and as few false things as possible results in a better life. And that's because what I'm saying is that the more your internal model of reality matches reality, the better off you're going to be. The people, yeah. the people whose internal model of reality dramatically departs from reality, those people are constantly in danger, and we even lock some of them up. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but okay. you're, you're talking about specific instances. I'm talking about the, the broad generality of the claim you make. Justin, you asked me for testable evidence, and you don't want me to pre present specific instances. Do you understand what testable is? Well, that's not testable evidence, because that's a... Uh, 
Wait, you, can I jump in a, on this? I'm a person that believes that. Show me a Wait, person that believes that. I'm, 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 right. I'm at the point okay, now where I, I don't even believe Justin is real. So yeah. go ahead, Arn. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> so you don't think it's testable whether drinking battery acid is good for you or bad for you. You don't think that the odds in the lottery that he mentioned, that this is testable. You don't think that having accurate information lends to practical application for the benefit of all concerned. You don't think that's testable. Yeah, but you're talking about hypothetical situations. I'm talking. You're about talking about a hypothetical situation, sir. No, I'm talking about a claim that Matt actually made on a debate. And which uh, we can prove to be true with the examples he just gave. You, conversely, cannot provide an example to the opposite, where misinformation would be more valuable than actual information. I could. Okay, then go for it if you can. I'm not going to bother with doing that right now because it's irrelevant to your actual question. You're the one making the claim here that I am not doing what you asked me to do when I'm saying that I have. And then no, there's I'm another making, level to I'm it. I'm not making a claim. I'm just asking. Okay. I'm asking about the claim that you made. Okay. Asked, you, asked, you asked me to provide the evidence that backs up my position, and I've done that. Okay. What do you have to say about that? Uh, I'm, I'm not satisfied with that answer. Okay, uh, how about this one? How about this one? When... when the accuracy of your information is important to you. Does that not also relate to your honesty? When the accuracy of your information is right. important? Right. When you want to make sure that what you understand is correct and that what you convey to others is also correct, does this not reflect positively on your honesty, meaning that a person is more honest when they are concerned that the information is accurate and correct? Yes, that's true. Okay, so there you've proven the point for him. And, and actually, I, I can do that, too. For example, do you think that somebody is, is objectively better off if they're healthy than if they're sick? Yeah, I think they're... Do you think that somebody is more likely to be better off if they are wealthy than if they are in poverty? Uh, it depends on your, your term of better off. I don't understand what that... I'm asking you, do you think that generally speaking, you are more likely to be better off and have a better life if you are wealthy than if you are impoverished? I'm going to Matt, the extremes. Matt, again, it goes to what you consider better off, how you define that. And that, that could be Justin, give me all, Justin, give me all your money. <laughs> okay, you can have it. Okay. Is that a promise? <laughs> you probably wouldn't be happy, but yeah, you can have all my money. Okay, I will get. You just send me an email, and I will get you um, an address to which you can mail me all of your money. Since you're convinced that this is not a factor in determining whether you have a better life or not, it's so, not hey, I'm not so saying I'm not to... saying it's the only factor. Just like I'm not saying health is the only factor, because you can be healthy and poor, you can be healthy and sad. But we've run out of time for today, and I've run out of time for nonsense. So thanks and goodbye. There's the people who make the show happen. Thanks, Aaron, for coming down and visiting and doing the show. We'll see you guys next week. You know, the last time I was here, we didn't get somebody that was that was arguing with us until the last minute of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you screen these people? <laughs>